my grandpa. Just give me a minute. Okay, all right, I'm just going to come clean. Last night, um, I totally missed my cue to come in. I was out there when the sermon bumper was going on, and I was late getting on stage, and uh, I thought, oh, I got an idea. I'll act like a grandpa, and I acted like a grandpa, and I came out, and everybody thought it was planned. And then it became funny, and so I did it again. That's, that's kind of how life goes around here. Just a little inside scoop, okay? Welcome to Life on Mission. We're glad that you're here. Uh, today's sermon is about my new grandson. His name is Charlie, and he is adorable. Look at that. <laughs> and my son-in-law is weird and got him a mustache pacifier. Um, Charles Ashley Harris was born last Sunday night about 5 o'clock. So uh, thank you for uh, watching on video last week. It was, uh, it was great for me to be able to be there and be a part of it all. Um, he was uh, one ounce short of nine pounds and 21 and a half inches long. So it was, a, it was a long ordeal. My daughter's like, you know, this big. And so it was a long, hard ordeal, but it was awesome to be able to, to be there and be a part of it. And, um, and I was actually able to be in the room. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to tell you that. I mean, some of you dads are like, mm, heck no, I'm not doing that. But that's okay. I, I, I'm mentioning that because at the end of this service, we're going to do baptisms. And, uh, you know, I think the cool thing about, about doing that together as a group is that you can watch other people, you know, being born again. There's just something beautiful about the experience of that. So I want you to be thinking about that. If you haven't done that, uh, we'd, we'd love to watch you. And, and this whole thing of, uh, you know, Charlie and I, uh, Charlie's very, very smart, obviously. He's already thinking a lot. And, um, and so I asked him to help me with my sermon. It's to picture him helping me with my sermon this week as, uh, as we were working on things. And, and this whole deal of life on mission worked into what Charlie and I were working on this week with, with this grandparent thing. Let, let me take you to it this way, okay? Peter Drucker says, every, th- every day, ask yourself two questions. What business is I, am I in and how is business? Those are my two questions. And we decided that uh, the, the business that we're in as believers, the only reason Jesus left us here on earth was to be witnesses. We're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. That's our job. That's why he left us here. We only have one job. And how's that going? Okay, if we're in the witness business, that's question number one. How's business? It's not very good. The U.S. is the third or fourth largest mission field in the world. So if our, our job is to be witnesses in Jerusalem, which is our nearby area, it's getting less and less close to Jesus the longer we live. So we need to do something about it. That's why I wrote the book Life on Mission, and that's what we're doing, okay? Now, we've been having some fun with the, you know, one job things. You guys have been sending me pictures of this. Here's a few of them that I got this week. You only had one job. Figure out what metal that is, okay? How about this one? You got you to look at it for a little bit. Um, this, the milk is under the bowl. <laughs> Do you realize that? I mean, how much trouble did they have to go to to mess that up? How about this? Um, Christmas deck. I mean, do you know any Jews? Do, <laughs> would, would they consider that accurate? It doesn't seem right. Uh, those are not orange. I, I mean, some of you are colorblind, but you, but you get this, right? Um, dog run, that's, that, that's not very, you got to have a really, really tiny little dachshund or something, you know? I mean, that, that's it. That's all you've got. How about some grapeless grapes? Who wants some grapeless grapes? Anyone? Sign me up for that, right? Um, Guys, I don't know what to do with this. I really don't. (laughs) 
You know, I, 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 it's just beyond me. I, I don't get it. And of course, the epic fail. God shows no favoritism, but our sign guy does go Cubs. I mean, you had one job, put something inspirational up, and you blew it, right? Okay. Um, we, we, we've been talking about how to be a witness, and there are five action steps that we do as, as Christians. And uh, the first one is that we connect because Jesus was always with the people outside of Jesus. We've got to make sure that we are engaged with people that don't have Jesus. That's a part of our job. Number two is that we serve, because the whole point of this is to be a neighbor. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's what we're on mission to do. But Jesus described that as a good Samaritan who stopped and served. And so serve is very important. The, the week three was we share is at some point we need to be able to tell them why we have Jesus and why that's important. And it doesn't have to be, you know, this long, drawn-out explanation. We don't have to memorize things. It's just our story. It's just a blind man who said, look, I don't know the answers to a bunch of your questions. All I know is I once was blind, and now I see. That's simple. Action four is grow. Grow. That's what we're going to talk about today. And you might think, well, what is that all about? I mean, what, how, does, how does grow relate to anything and mission? I mean, you're talking about me. You're not talking about my mission, right? No, no, no. This is the point. Very important. The more you look like Jesus, the more people will believe your witness. Think about this. The more you look like Jesus, the more people will believe your witness. I mean, I mean, if you don't look like Jesus, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to ask you any questions. It's not going to make any difference. Here's what Jesus said himself. In the same way, let your light shine before others, you know, be more like Jesus, so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what light does. If light isn't lit, it's not going to do much good to the darkness. Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, then it's good for nothing to but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You just make a road out of it if there's no saltiness. Peter said, live an exemplary life among the natives, the people that are outside of Christ, so that your actions will refute their prejudices. This is the message paraphrase, I love it so much. Because the people of the world are prejudiced against Christians. Why? Because Christians haven't looked like Jesus. They've either looked like their version of what they thought was Jesus, you know, the people standing up picketing, you know, the people who think, you know, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, the people that think their version of a disciple is what Jesus is, or they are Christians who, whose lives don't look any different than anybody else's, and there's no light, and there's no salt. So they're prejudiced. He says, live exemplary lives among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and join in the celebration when he arrives. In other words, what I'm saying is this. If they can't see that following Jesus has affected your life here on earth, how will they believe that he can affect their life after this earth? It's really that simple. Now, don't worry, because I've already said this. This is not about being perfect, all right? This is not about looking like a model of Jesus that somebody else wants you to have. It's about looking like Jesus, all right? Example, physical training, let's just do the same thing, right? If I have a personal trainer, I don't expect my personal trainer to look like a bodybuilder, okay? They don't have to be able to deadlift a smart car. That's not important to me, but they have to be in shape, right? I'm not going to hire a personal trainer that's not in some kind of shape. I'm not going to take physical advice from someone who lives in a van down by the river, okay? 
They gotta at least be able to help me get the bar back up if I can't get that last, you know, that last one up. They've gotta be in some kind of shape. If we're going to be spiritual trainers, if we're gonna have a spiritual trainer, they should be in a little bit better shape. And we should be in a little bit better shape so we can help everybody else. And guess what? There is one model of who it is that we're supposed to look like, and this is what we gotta keep coming back to. From the very beginning, God decided that those who would come to him, and all along he knew who would, would become like his son, should become like his son. God wants all of us who are following Jesus to look like Jesus. Again, not like Mother Teresa, not like Billy Graham, not like Ned Flanders, okay? Not like, you know, your pastor growing up, not like me, not like somebody that your parents think you ought to look like, but Jesus, you're supposed to look like Jesus. And that's what's so great, because Jesus was a person who spent time with his disciples, and he spent time with people who were outside the sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus talked about mission in another analogy that I really love in John 15. It's called bearing fruit, he said. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If we're connected to Jesus, there should be fruit that comes from our life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you are really a disciple of Jesus, you should bear fruit. You should look like Jesus. So what kind of fruit is that going to be? Well, scholars have been divided over this because there are two different kinds of fruit talked about in the Bible. There are the fruits of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, those, those things that are inside of us, if the Spirit lives inside of us, those are called the fruits of the Spirit. There's also the fruit of reproduction, obviously. Fruit, except for the grapeless grapes, all fruit has seeds, right? It has seeds for reproduction. So, so what business are we in? Well, we're in the witness business. That, that's about reproduction. But I think the answer to that question is yes. Yes, it's about both, because if I have the fruits of the Spirit in my life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, if I have those things in my life, people are going to see that, and they're going to be attracted to that, and that's going to bear the fruit of reproduction. Let me say it this way. The natural result of your being connected to the vine is fruit, and the fruit of the Spirit-filled life that will naturally make those around you want to get in on it. Now, who doesn't want to have the life of Jesus if you really look at the life of Jesus? Again, let me say it. The more you look like Jesus, the more people will believe your witness. This is why, you guys, this is why Jesus came down 33 years ago, or 33 years, and spent 33 years on the planet 2,000 years ago. He didn't have to. All he had to do was come down and die for our sins, rise again, and go back. Theologically speaking, that was all that was required. Why did he spend 33 years here? Because he said, I want you to see God. I'm gonna show you the Father by the way I live. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Well, guess what? If you see Jesus in me, you will see the Father. And if you see Jesus in me, you will want to be with the Father. And we're in the witness business, so we ought to look more like Jesus. And I ought to look more like Jesus, and you ought to look more like Jesus, and I don't, and you don't, and there's got to be something that has to change. This is seriously why I don't have a fish on the back of my car. 
I mean, I talk about this sometimes. It's good. If you, if you want to have a fish on the back of your car, it's great. If, if you have a honk, if you love Jesus bumper sticker on the back of your car, you know, that's wonderful. I don't, but go ahead if you want to. Don't put a part view sticker and a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on the same car, please. But, but I'm, just, I'm just saying. The reason I don't have, I'm just being honest, okay? I'm just bearing my soul. The reason I don't have a, a fish on the back of my car is because there is, are not, there's not enough fruits of the Spirit in my driving habits. <laughs> can, can I get an amen from you? I mean, not about me, about you. You have the same problem, right? I don't want to fish on there, especially when I'm driving in Tennessee where they all drive like they talk, and I'm like, come on, what do you hurry up? What are you waiting for? Green, green, green. I, I, don't, I, I mean, it just, I... I Sorry, that, I just, if I got a fish on the back of my car and, and I'm an impatient driver, I'm a bad representation of Jesus. And even if I'm trying to be good, I might accidentally do something, you know, cut them off, and then they're going to be like, oh, go ahead, fish boy, come on over. <laughs> cut me off. Is that what Jesus would do? I just can't live with that pressure, so there's nothing on there. All right, I'm just going to be honest. But, but why aren't I... And why aren't you, why aren't Christians growing to be more like Christ? I'll give you three answers I've been thinking about this week because I think this is important. First one is, is huge. I've been, I've been really chewing on this one. And the first one is this. They, we, don't really believe, don't really believe that Jesus is worth following. We really don't believe it. I mean, we, we look at the life of Jesus and we think, yeah, that was really cool, but, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not you know, that was 2,000 years ago. I mean, the, the problem is, a lot of times people are like, you know, Jesus wouldn't understand where I live. I know the way of Jesus is cool and he's a good teacher, but Jesus doesn't understand the 21st century. I mean, he, he, he wasn't tempted with porn on the internet. There was, no, there was no porn on the internet. He doesn't understand that. Really, you, you don't think he was tempted with lust? Because the Bible says he was tempted in every way just like we were. I mean, think this through. I, I know he didn't have to drive in Tennessee, but he had his patience tried a few times didn't he? People sometimes are like, well, Jesus can't relate to me because he didn't get married and have kids. Seriously, you, you don't think he understands love? And, and could you think, just think about this for a little bit? Jesus knows he's got to go back to the father at age 33, right? So he gets married, right? He leaves behind this young bride. What is she going to do for the rest of her life? She's probably going to get remarried. Who wants to be that guy? Wow. Process this. Who wants to be Jesus' kid? No, why can't you be more like your father? I mean, nobody wants to live up to that, okay? So obviously Jesus didn't get married and have kids, but do you not think he understands you? Do you not think that he showed us the best life to live? I mean, Jesus invented love. He understands where we're at. And the early church thought of it this way. They said that Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's who Jesus is. Do you really believe that? Do I really believe that? That's the question. I mean, do you really think that the life of Jesus is the best way? I mean, you know it is. You know if you, if you forgive your neighbor, if you forgive those who wrong you, your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you, you know that actually is going to help you live a better life. We know those things. We know that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We, we know that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. But living that way, it's, it's you know, we, do we believe it? 
We know it, but do we believe it? I spent the last two days of the time in Nashville, Thursday, Thursday and Friday, um, at, a, at a summit that Dave Ramsey, the financial guru, put together with, uh, there were about 30 pastors in Dave, um, some of the largest churches in, in the country, talking about the issue of stewardship. It was just a think tank. It wasn't a teaching time. It was just, let's all collectively get together and talk about how we could help the people in our churches do biblical stewardship better. And by stewardship, I mean that you understand that God owns everything and we just manage it. That's all we do here on earth. It has to do with your time and obviously your talents, but, but very definitely your treasure. It has to do with how, what, what, what we do with our, our treasure. And, and we know that where your treasure is, your heart is. And you know what we ended up doing after, after about five or six hours of, of just 30 of us around a table talking about this, we ended up realizing that, that the biggest problem that we have as pastors is that we're afraid when we talk about biblical stewardship and we talk about money that you're going to say, and Heibel said he was, Bill Heibel said he was so afraid of this at the beginning of his church that they didn't even take up offerings. What we're afraid is that you guys are going to say, well, all the church is after is my money. All the church is interested in is my money. And so because of that, and then because of the, you know, the, the people that have prostituted themselves in the name of religion and given us a bad name, because of those two things, we're afraid to talk to you about something that is the best way to live. It is absolutely the best way to live. And Heibel's got up at one point and, and drew on the whiteboard something that really clicked for me. He said, here's how we normally talk about finances. All right, if you've been in the church for a while, you, you know this, you get this, but here's how we normally do it. He said, let's say B is our financial goal. You know, I want to have this much money when I retire or, you know, I want to do this business or whatever. This is my financial goal. I'm at A and I'm going to get to B. And the deal is that most people say, you know what, I'm going to need 100% of my resources to be able to get to B. So don't ask me to give to anything, don't ask me to be generous, you know, don't ask me to, to be extravagant or anything else, because I'm going to need 100% for me and my, my needs and my, to get to B. Bill said, then he put this up, he said, what we do as pastors is normally we say, okay, but the Bible teaches us that if we will bring the tithe, if we will bring 10%, we bring the, you know, the first fruits in, into God, that God doesn't need our money, but that just, that just invites God into the process. It's one place where God said, test me and bring the tithe into the storehouse and see what happens. And he says, what we talk about is this, you can either do the 100% or you can do 90% plus God. And, and and who do you think is going to get you to be faster and, and, and better? Is it, is it 100% of you or is it you and God in partnership together? This is how we normally teach. It's how I do it, you know, anytime we, and we're going to talk about this after Life on Mission. We're going to talk about it because it's so important to you. I don't need to raise any money. It's important to you. Here's what Bill said. The problem is we forget that when we do this right, there's a C. When, when, we, when we really live a life of generosity and, and biblical stewardship, and we really trust God with our tithe, with our wealth, with whatever, with our time and our talents and our treasures, that God will take us not just to be, but he will take us to see. He will take us to a place that we didn't even know was there. And I know this. We all, everybody in the room knew this. We, we all believe this. We all live this. We all live in C. I live in C. But sometimes I'm afraid to tell you that C is the best place to live because I'm afraid you're not going to believe me. And you know what? We all decided we're just not going to do this anymore. 
It's the best thing for you to understand that there is a sea. It's the best thing for you to understand that growing to be more like Jesus and more like God is the best possible life you can live. Second reason why people don't take more interest in growing to be like Christ is where the rubber meets the road. It takes work. I mean, it takes work. It takes work to get to any place better in your life. There's no magic Christian pill I can give you and all of a sudden the fruits of the Spirit start, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I wake up one day and I put a fish on the back of my car because my, you know, my driving has been healed by Jesus and, you know, 10 and 2, here we go. Okay, that, there's not a magic pill for that. John Ortberg wrote a great article about it. Um, he talked about, he said, many years ago, my wife brought a movie home and uh, we watched this movie called Cliffhanger. You guys remember Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone? I don't even know why they were in the mountains. I can't remember the plot. But for some reason, he said, they're, we're, they're in the mountains and, uh, you know, it's freezing cold, it's snowing and it's ice and everybody's wearing parkas except five or six times in this movie, you find Sylvester Stallone with his shirt off. Remember this? You know, it's like, oh, I've got to climb that rope. I better take my clothes off so I can climb the rope and show everyone my biceps. And he said, it was really, you know, just really obnoxious to me. And he said, at one point, Nancy, my wife, is looking at the screen. She's looking at me. She looks at, the, at Stallone. She looks at me again. She looks at Stallone again. She looks at me again. And she finally says, you know, I've just never been attracted to well-built men. John said, I searched for the compliment that I knew was lurking down deep, deep inside, but I couldn't find it anywhere. But he went on to write about it in this article. He said, you know, the idea of a well-built man is a complete myth. I mean, maybe there are some people, you know, they're 18 or 20. Maybe your, your body is, is really awesome at that point. But at some point, it doesn't stay that way. Can I get an Amen. Uh, Miranda Lambert has a very funny song about gravity um, in, in her new album. It, it, you know, it, eventually at some point, things start to not work out any anymore. And the idea is people aren't really well built, they are well trained. I mean, think about Stallone. Think about how different he looked in Cliffhanger than he did in Rocky. What was the difference? He was well trained. We also know he was well injected now, but that's beside the point. He was well trained. If you want transformation in any part of your life, there is training involved, right? Nobody wakes up one morning and goes, oh, look at my huge biceps. That just doesn't happen. Nobody wakes up one morning and, and, and decides to go run a marathon. How many of you are runners in here? Let me see your hand. You're runners. How many of you could probably run a marathon if you wanted to? Like, okay. There's some of you in here, right? How many of you think that you could run a marathon eventually, but you never will because that's the dumbest idea you've ever heard in your life. And who wants to run at all, let alone 26 miles? And if God wanted us to run, he would have given us legs or something. I don't know, right? Okay, okay. There, there are two people in there, okay? But the truth of the matter is every, almost everyone in this room Almost everyone in this room, almost everyone listening to me could run a marathon eventually. I could run a marathon eventually. What would I have to do? I would have to train for it. And that's why I'm not gonna. <laughs> Let's just be honest, okay? If you wanna be like Jesus, you, you, you're gonna have to train for it. And a lot of us are just like, you know what? It's too much work. My daughters were all into music. And we had a house full of bad noise for much of my adult life, you know? 
I mean, the flute player, they all took piano lessons, and the flute player, you know, wasn't that bad right up front, but then Lauren played the trumpet, and Becca played the French horn, okay? They did not get good right away. They all got good, but they did not get good right away. What does it take? It takes training. We know this. Anything in life, if we want to be better, it takes training. And, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says, listen, no disciple is above his master, but every disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his master. It's about training. And Paul said, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So why don't we train? Because it's hard. But if we're going to be, if, if our witness is going to bring people to, to Jesus and, and affect their eternal destiny, then it's not. This is what it always was to me. The training was always about, well, you need to do this because, you know, God will love you more if, if you have your quiet time. God will love you more if you read more of the Bible. God will love you. That's not true. God can't love me any more than, he can't love you any more than he loves you right now. But what those things will do for me, what, what training will do for me is it will make my life have fruits of the Spirit, and then that fruit will bear reproduction, and more people will be in heaven, which is the witness business that we're in. Okay? Hardest part of training is getting started, buying the P90X, you know, signing up for the health club. That's the hardest part. You, you got to start somewhere. The starting line in the Bible was baptism. So I want to encourage you. Some of you, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe it's time to sign up for the gym again for you, maybe a rededication. For some of you, you're coming to faith for the first time or you're understanding this for the first time. I want to encourage you at the end of this service, go to the back, get signed up. We've already done, I don't know, dozens, I don't know how many dozens of baptisms already this weekend and sign up and, and come up here and I'll be in the tub until, until you stop coming and we will do baptisms. That was the initiation. Last week I talked about Philip and the Ethiopian and when the Ethiopian realized he wanted Jesus, he jumped in the water. I mean, he literally said, look, there's water. Let me go do this. I want to get started. But please understand that, that it's... That's, baptism is, is to the Christian life, the same thing the wedding ceremony is to your marriage, right? You know, if you think, if you're, if you're young and you think, well, all I got to do is get married someday and everything's going to be okay, oh, do we have some things to tell you. <laughs> Amen, right? You're talking 30 years here, and I want to tell you, it takes work, and it takes training, and, and you are going to get better and better and better and better, and I, I love my wife, and, and, and we love each other more, so much more now than we ever did before. The same thing is true in your Christian life. You don't just jump in and say, okay, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm going to show up every once in a while. No, you're supposed to be getting closer to Jesus so that your fruit will bear fruit. Understand? Uh, and, and we can baptize you one of two ways. Somebody sent me this video, I think. Uh, we can do it the, the good way or the... <laughs> or the dunk your butt way. I mean, you just show that again. Uh, that's, that's really good. We can do it the nice way. Or I can just throw you down. I don't care. Whatever you want. All right? I'm good. Get started today. Sign up for the gym. The third reason why... <laughs> Christians aren't interested in growing to be more like Christ. And this is, this is where I've got to bring it back down to. It's because they aren't in a training relationship. 
This is where, when I was writing Life on Mission, this is where this, the light bulb started coming on to me. Because most Christians, the fundamental problem with the mission, I believe, is that we've left out relationship. Uh, relationship is optional before people come to Jesus, and relationship is optional after they come to Jesus. And that's not the way that it was. Listen, if you want to run a marathon, the best thing that you can do is get together with some friends who also want to run a marathon and go running together. Understand that? All right? Don't hang out with me. We're going golfing. That's not going to help you. You hang out with some runners, all right? If you really want to build muscle, you will train with someone. Why? Because everybody knows that the only way you'll build muscle is if you're with somebody that can help you get that last rep up. Because if you're only doing the ones that you know you can do, you're not going to try very you're not going to try to do one or two more. But if you've got somebody there, they're they're going to say give me another one, give me two more, and you're going to try and they're going to be there to help you. And that's when you build muscle. Understand that, right? I'm a fairly disciplined person in the gym, but I don't usually train with anybody because I'm in a hurry or I'm out of town. The reason that the fact that I don't work with a trainer is why I don't look like this. But at least I don't look like this, so I'm feeling better about it one way or the other, okay? That's what's exciting to me about Life on Mission is that even this grow part is something that's been, it's been connecting the dots for me. Because a lot of churches over the, over the period of Christianity, what, what tends to happen is that churches fall into one of two camps, the camp of evangelism or the camp of discipleship. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, forget about it, don't worry about it. But, but what usually happens is that you have churches that are all about discipleship. And many of you have been a part of a church. This church, when I got here, was a church that was concentrating on discipleship. So much so that they forgot that they were supposed to be a witness. You know, they were, there's the rabbit hole thing that, that Stott, John Stott wrote about. You know, you got your Christian little thing and you pop. The only time you ever see, you know, pagans, the only time you ever see people outside of Christ is when you pop out of one Christian hole and run over to and jump down into another Christian hole again. And I've just been thinking, it's kind of like walking dead to me. You know, it's like I'm going to jump and run through the zombies and I'm going to go back down again, right? That's, that's, that's how we live our Christian life. And, and what we realize is that doesn't work because we have to connect. We have to serve. We have to share. We have to be on mission with these people. But the other problem is that a lot of people, including me, I'm going to lean over this way because my heart's all for the prodigals. My heart's all for the lost sheep because that's who I saw Jesus being, was this person over here. And sometimes those of us who are over here forget that we also need to help the people that were, that were not called to make converts. Jesus said, make disciples. And so the problem is there, there are both of these things. And, and it's finally dawned on me that the reason that I side over here too much sometimes is because most Christians are over here. And I feel like somebody's got to go over here and be a witness. And the other problem with these people over here is that a lot of times, ugh, a lot of times, they want me to be a disciple that looks like their version of discipleship. You know what I'm saying? They, they want me to look like who they think a disciple ought to look like, which is Ned Flanders. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to come back to The Simpsons over and over again. It's, 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 I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. This is my version of discipleship. And if you don't fit in my version of discipleship, you must not be a disciple. You know what that is? That's not discipleship. That's Phariseeism. I realize my model is Jesus. I'm supposed to look like Jesus. Jesus, who ate and drank... <laughs> 
with the sinners and Jesus who had a group of 12 disciples. That's how he spent his entire ministry career. That puts it both together, doesn't it? So here's our newly minted definition of discipleship at Parkview. We're just rolling this out. Discipleship is being with Jesus and learning to be like Jesus in every area of our life for the sake of the world. That, that last parenthetical statement is the difference between our definition of discipleship and everybody else's. I believe in the life of C. I believe it's the best life you could possibly live. I really believe you're going to be much happier and more fulfilled if you will live like Jesus. But ultimately, it's not about you. It's about them. So live like Jesus, be with Jesus, so that everybody can see you. Now what does that mean? Well, honestly, this is a big problem in a big church because what happens to a lot of Christians is they think they can be well-trained and they can be more like Jesus by coming to a weekend workout, <laughs> okay? You know? Do you know what weekend warriors are? They're the people that, you know, they're all gung-ho about something on the weekend, but they don't ever do it during the rest of the week. They're just weekend warriors. And a lot of times, like, go back to the running thing. I mean, you will meet people and say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start running. So they go run five miles on Saturday. And then they don't run again all week because they're sore and you know, they don't have time. And they come back and they run five miles again the next Saturday. But you know what happens? They don't run five miles. They get about a mile and a half and they pull a hamstring because you can't train to do anything once a week. I, pr I promise you, you're not gonna see fruit in, your, in anything that you do if you do it once a week. But here's the beauty of this. The, even if you've been a believer for a long time, you can start right now by training to be like Jesus, training to be like the master, and we want to help you. We have a series of three classes that are like a base path for us. Uh, we have the what we believe, after you believe, and living your beliefs class. If you are a, a member of Parkview, if you're a part of Parkview, and you haven't been through all three of those classes, I want to challenge you to do that because we're stranding you on first or second, and you're never going to get to be the place where you're able to do mission. What we believe is coming up. We've got one tomorrow night here. We got, we've got several of them at, that we've already advertised. Well, then we'll have an after you believe class, and we'll have a living your beliefs class. I want to encourage you to to go through those. Those are not discipleship. Those are helping you figure out how to train. That's all they are, all right? And also, in your bulletin, you've got a next steps card, and there's a couple of things in there that you can check. And if you will check this and take it to the next steps booth and put your, your info in there, we will send you tools. Like, for example, develop a 15-minute training time that includes prayer and Bible reading every day. We will help you with this. We, can, we, we will send you stuff. You're like, I don't know what to read. I don't know what to do. Great, we'll help you. We'll send you stuff. 15 minutes a day could start helping train you to be more like Jesus and to bear fruit, which is going to bear fruit. You see how that works? Another thing that we want to encourage you to do is find somebody that you can train or that you can train with. And I mean that both ways. Maybe, there's a, maybe it's a part of a small group. Many of you started a life on mission group. You're doing discipleship. You don't have to know anything. You pop in a, a, a DVD. We can help you do that. And we can help you train with and, and, and connect with some other people. And here's, here's the analogy I want to go to. I eventually want to get you to the place where you are training other people to train other people to train other people. Let me go back to the home analogy. As we're doing life on mission, 
Connect is about getting them into the backyard, making you know, a very non-threatening way to connect with somebody who doesn't have Jesus in their life. Serve is when you open the door to your home and you allow them in, and you go to that next level of relationship, and you serve them. You know, maybe it's a meal, maybe you let them use the bathroom, you let them spend the night, you get them a Band-Aid, whatever. You are, you are serving. They're in your family a little bit at that point. That's the Good Samaritan. Share was last week when we talked about some, at some point, you need to tell them your story. And that's when we sit down around the kitchen table and we have, you know, a, a talk. And you got to look for the right opportunity and when that's going to happen. But you look for a place to, 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 to be able to say, hey, here's my story. Grow is about taking them into the kitchen and teaching them how to cook. Because if you don't teach your kids how to feed themselves, they're never going to move away. Don't put your hand up. You know what I'm saying, right? At some point, you have got to figure out how to help them feed themselves, okay? You have to be a great cook. No, you can Google how to cook together. It's no big deal. This is about making disciples who make disciples. I remember when Denise taught Becca, our youngest, how to make Kraft macaroni and cheese, I don't know if you call that cooking or not, but, but I remember that, you know, that she was probably eight years old, and, and Denise was like, here's what you do. You boil the water, you pour in the noodles, you know, you add that chemical cheese, whatever it is, stuff in there, and, and you know, some milk and some butter, and you, and you stir it around. And, and Becca was so excited, she immediately called her friends and said, you guys got to come over so I can teach you how to make macaroni and cheese. You know what that is? That's the gospel. That's making disciples. That's a witness. That's what we're talking about. I learn, and then I help you learn. I grow, and then I help you grow. And then you help somebody else grow. Listen to Giovanna's testimony. I was born and raised in Southern California, and after graduation, I moved to Houston, Texas. And in Texas, I met my husband, and we got married there. And when it was time to buy a home, we decided to move to Oak Forest, Illinois, because he was born and raised in the South Side. And um, we moved in the summer of 2011, and the weather was beautiful. And it pretty much right when the temperature dropped, I started questioning our move. And so I, I just really asked God specifically, like, how? How can I be a service? And I love, love, love that he was like, well, make yourself available. As spring was approaching and then the weather started getting warmer, I ventured into my backyard, which is about an acre, and I just really felt um, heavy upon my heart to be praying and lifting up my neighbors, asking God, like, if you, you have us here for a reason, if it's to be light, then help us, show me how to be light. And so I would walk um, the perimeter of my backyard and I would pray for each family. There was a specific neighbor next door that would be outside and we'd start talking throughout the fence. And then one day she saw me looking at my grill because I was trying to clean it. My husband was out of town and I really wanted to grill, but I thought it needed to be cleaned after winter because again, Southern California, our grills don't endure winters like they do here. And I just wasn't sure if there was something special I needed to do. And so this particular neighbor was like, Giovanna, what are you doing with the grill? And I was like, I'm trying to figure out how to clean it. She was like, do you want me to come over? And I was like, please, please come over and walk me through what to do with the grill. And um, yeah, she was able to like show me how to turn it on. That's a big deal. Um, and walk me through a few things. And then I asked if she wanted to have lunch and we enjoyed 
lunch and started to get to know each other better. So as um, she continued to come over, I was I kept asking God, like, God, I want um, I want to go deeper, uh, but I I want it to be your timing and not my timing with her and. Um, so eventually I just started asking her where she was at with God and where she was at um, if she had a place of worship. And she um, actually came to Parkview a few times. She's kind of dabbled um, in a few different churches, but, um, but she definitely believes in the Lord. And so throughout those conversations, I asked her if she wanted to do um, Beth Moore's Breaking Free study with me in the fall. And she said she would, and I told her, you need to pray about this. Like, I want you to pray about it. Don't just say yes. Like, I want you to pray about it. And so she's like, I'll pray about it. And she came back over the next day. She's like, I prayed, I wanna do this. And I said, okay. So we got our copy of the study and um, she's joined me and a few other ladies um, in my home to go through this Breaking Free study. You know, I've been so incredibly humbled by this relationship that the Lord has opened up for me to have with my neighbor. And it, it, it's more, I mean, it's really become a friendship where not only does she feel safe to share her life with me, but where God has really challenged me to share my life with her. And um, so I think that God has really challenged me to recognize that if I am willing to be discipled and disciple others, then that He needs to be my source and He needs to be our source and He needs to be um, our first go-to. So make yourself available. Um, and God will use you if you're willing and, and buckle up because it'll be fun. That's called making disciples. Yeah, you can clap for Giovanna. That's a fantastic. That's called being a witness, you guys. It doesn't just stop with telling your story. It, 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 it's a continual process of helping that person. My, my middle daughter, Lauren, was telling me about being in Bolivia. She went to Bolivia to do a six-month thing when she was at Wheaton College to help a safe house that was rescuing uh, sex trafficked girls in Bolivia, one of the poorest Latin American countries. And there was this little girl, I think she was about 14, named Betty, that had come to the safe house, and she was there. Betty had never, ever heard of Jesus Christ, ever. They started telling Betty about Jesus and um, one day, Lauren said, she walked in and Betty was drawing a picture. And, and Lauren said, who are you drawing a picture of, Betty? And Betty said, this is Jesus. And Lauren said, I, I so wish I would, have had a, I would have taken a picture of the picture of Jesus. She said, Jesus looked like a drag queen. <laughs> Jesus had curly hair and these really pretty eyes. And he looked like a woman. And Betty knew that Jesus was a man, but she said it dawned on her that the only people that had ever shown Betty who Jesus was were female. So she drew Jesus as a very feminine Jesus because that was the witness in her life. Isn't that good? That's what we're supposed to do. And of course, as you help people grow 
It will help you grow. You never learn faster than when you teach. You know this. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about knowing a whole lot of stuff and being able to pass it on. I'm, I'm talking about maybe it's just about me helping you on the journey and we train together. Here's what Paul said. I want us to help each other with the faith that we have. Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. It doesn't have to be one person discipling other people. It's about us all being together on this journey. And whatever you pay attention to is going to grow, okay? That's going to be really important. Just remember how important this is because the more you look like Jesus, the more people will believe your witness. So this is why grow is a part of life on mission. And if you want to start that journey as we do communion in just a minute, you can go to the back. We'll have a T-shirt for you. We've got stuff for your clothes, whatever. If you want to do that or if you want to be a witness of, of a rededication of your life to other people, just go to the back and we're going to do baptisms again as soon as it's over. And, and by the way, the life of mission, again, it's the best way to live. Let me tell you about C, you know, that C place that God brings you. And it's something that I, I, I just hadn't really fully grasped until this week. Casey said something brilliant, which, you know, doesn't happen all the time. And so I quoted him on it, okay? People who bear much fruit always have plenty of wine. I, I, I love that. Tweet that, will you? People who bear much fruit always have plenty of wine. What does that mean? If I have the fruit of the Spirit in my life and I'm bearing fruit, then I have so much fruit that I can have wine. I can make wine. The joy in my life, what Giovanna said was, it is so fun to be on this journey. And, and I think I realized it this week because people have been telling me for you know six months, ever since we've known we were going to be grandparents, people have been telling me, Tim, you are going to love being a grandpa. And I'm like, I, I, I know, I know I'm going to love being, I love babies, you know, Charlie and I, we're going to make snow angels, we're going to go ice skating, we're going to eat a whole roll of Toll House cookie dough, you know the deal, I mean, we're going to, I can't wait to love on this kid, I, I, I know it's going to be fun, and it's a boy, and I'm excited about finally having a little boy in my life, you know finally, basically, I have three daughters, and basically what this is is God's way of saying, I had to wait until you were 53 to be mature enough to not screw up a little boy, okay? <laughs> That's basically what, what God was saying, okay? We're going to have, I'm going to love Charlie. Here's what I didn't get. What I didn't understand about what they were saying was how much it was going to affect me to watch my child become a mommy, Right, grandparents? It's unbelievable, the picture of Rachel and Charlie. That kills me. I, I mean, it, it, it's, I'm so proud of her. It's so rewarding. My daughter has brought a child into the world to help make the world a better place. I feel like part of our job has been done. You know, I mean, the first command that we are given as human beings is to be fruitful and multiply. And Denise and I have now done both of those things. You see, there's two parts to that. Being fruitful was fun, at least three times for us. It was fun, but it was very challenging. And, and having children is a huge responsibility. You understand this, right? I mean, our middle daughter, Lauren, I picked her up at the airport. She flew in to see the baby, and she was like, man. I mean, she's been married for a year and a half. She was like, man, I am not ready for this yet. I am not ready to be a mommy. And, and I, I, I apologize to, my, to her in-laws who are in here listening to this right now. Oh, maybe we wish we she would get going a little bit sooner, but, but she's like, I am not ready for this. But we all know that there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a time when her and Tommy go, you know what, we're ready. We're ready to be fruitful. 
And most couples will decide either to get pregnant or do the equally beautiful process of adoption because they want to be fruitful. At some point, that's going to happen to most couples. And I know that at one point in my life in the near future, my house will be full of fruitful again. Right now it's empty nest, but it'll be full of fruitful again, at least on the holidays when they come to visit. It'll be full of fruitful, but it won't be my fruitful. It will be my multiply. Follow this. Multiply is when your fruitful becomes fruitful. This is what I've been processing. I only have a certain amount of time left on the planet, okay? I do not want to be known as pastor fruitful, I do not want to be known as the guy who built a large church in the south suburbs of Chicago and lots of people came to hear him and came and were, he was fruitful. I want to be known as the guy who built a church full of people, who built churches full of people, who built churches full of people, and, and he was multiplying. I want, to be, I want to be the grandpa. I want to, I'm going to be Papa Tim. It's still PT, so you can call me Papa Tim now instead of Pastor Tim. That's what I want to, that's what I want to do now, okay? Because that's, that's what God has called us to. I'm always impressed when I meet somebody that has a lot of kids, you know? I assume they, they're Catholic, and I'm like, wow, way to go. You got a lot of kids. That's really awesome, right? But isn't it way more impressive when you meet an older person and they say, oh yeah, I, I had five kids and I've got 20 grandchildren and I've got 63 great-grandchildren, right? What, what, that's the difference. Between, you, can't, you can't have 63 kids, but you can have 63 offspring. I can't reach the south suburbs of Chicago by getting everybody to come to Parkview, but I can reach you and you can reach them. It's something I've been wrapping my head around about how we do church and how we do missions and all of it, you know? I mean, many churches are full of people that are fruitful, but they, they, they never go multiply, so it stops there. Many of our missions organizations and our mercy organizations, we understand that we're not supposed to go give a person a fish. Everybody gets that. You don't give them a fish because you only feed them for a day. You teach them how to fish, and you feed them for a lifetime. The problem is, a lot of us, ourselves included, have just been going and teaching them to fish instead of teaching them how to teach somebody else how to teach somebody else how to fish. Paul said it this way. He said, the things you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, okay, my story, my discipleship, you, Timothy, entrust that to reliable people. That'll be multiplied. What kind of reliable people? The people who will also be qualified to teach others. That's the spiritual grandparent principle right there. Jesus told us, go and make disciples. I, I think a disciple is someone who grows up and reproduces themselves. So maybe you could translate Matthew 28, 18, go and make disciples, into go be spiritual grandparents. If you read Life on Mission or you heard me speak about it. My son-in-law, Ash, is, uh, was not a believer. He was somebody, he's, in, he's from England, and he uh, you know, didn't have any Christians in the family at all, and my daughter, Rachel, went over there and, and was part of a ministry that was over there and became friends with him, and they started talking over the internet, and he became a believer because of the witness of Rachel. All right, there's a picture of the three of them. This is the family that all happened. It wasn't missionary dating. It was, it was she and, and he talked about the Lord and 
she went over and baptized him in a river in Wales with my frequent flyer miles one winter. And, and you know, and, and then they started dating and then they got married, okay? And he's gonna be an amazing father. But my line from the sermon a few weeks ago was this, and this is, this is it. My and, and Denise's witness affected Rachel's eternal destiny. She was our fruitful. But guess what? Rachel's witness affected Ash's eternal destiny. Ash wasn't our fruitful. Ashes are multiply. And Ash's witness will affect my grandson Charlie's eternal destiny. Charlie is not my fruitful. Charlie is my multiply. And the question of the gospel, the question of mission, is whose destiny will Charlie affect? Be fruitful and multiply. Let me pray. God, I pray that you'd be with us right now. I know there are people who uh, <clears throat> are ready to get dunked, and I know that I know they're all they're all here. But I know that there are some people who thinking maybe they've never done this, and they're ready to sign up. They're they're ready to follow you. Maybe there's some people who never did it this way, and they've been believers for a long time. But uh, this is a good this is a good place to to be a witness to the rebirth. You said if a man is born of the water and the spirit, so that's what this could be for them. And maybe there are people in here just need to make a, a recommitment of their life and, and they want to do it. I'm thankful for the couple last services getting ready to get married and they decided they needed to do this together to, to start the process off right. Lord, I, I pray that you'll just be with them as, as they get up during the song, go back to back and get ready and we do this. But for the rest of us, Lord, whether we've done the baptism thing or not, will you help us to understand that that's just the ceremony, it's just the beginning part. It's not the marriage. It's not, it's not being like you. That's a constant process that we're going to go through. And if the pastor can't even put a fish on his car yet, we've all got a long way to go. And someday we're all going to try to be more and more like you. But no longer are we going to try to do it because somebody told us we needed to be that way to make you happy. Because you're happy with us. You love us unconditionally. Just like my daughter and her husband love this little baby who doesn't do anything but lay there and sleep and dirty up his diaper. He doesn't do anything to give them anything at this point, but they love him. That is your unconditional love for us. And no longer are we going to be disciples according to somebody else's definition of what a disciple looks like. That it means that I do these specific things and that I don't do these specific things. That we're going to be disciples of you. And we're going to look like you so that we can let our light shine and let people see you in us so they want to be with you. Be with us now as we do this, as we worship. In Jesus' name we pray.